Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your grace. Just as Tom Short shared last Sunday, your grace is amazing, Lord. We don't deserve it. And Lord, there's nothing that we have done that has caused you to pour your grace out on us. Lord, you freely, through your love for us, have lavished your grace on us, Lord. And we thank you for that this morning. Lord, help us to be people who run after you, who run after your grace, who understand our dependence on your grace, Lord, our need for your grace. And Lord, help us to realize and remember that apart from you, Lord, we are nothing and we can do nothing, Lord.
Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. And uh, kiddos uh, who have class this morning, you could be released to your class. All right. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to those of you that are both with us and those of you joining us online. Thank you for braving the weather. And for those of you that didn't, I don't blame you. It's cold out there. I am not made to be cold. I'm a, I'm a, I don't like cold. It's a result of the fall. Get it? Fall, winter. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, that's it for me. See you folks later. No, I, I'm just kidding. But seriously, welcome. Um, for those of you that are joining us for the first time, we have these things called our Connect Cards. For those of you that have been around for a while, you know this is the best way to get in contact with us and stay in contact with us. So you'll find them at the chair right in front of you on the back side of that chair. Um, grab one of those. Uh, again, for those of you that are new, you probably passed by our Welcome Center that uh, is right outside these doors. It's a great place for you to stop if you would like more information about our church. Uh, you can connect to a small group, talk to a pastor, have any questions, answer that you may have. So please stop by there. We'd love to meet you. I do have a couple uh, announcements. Again, for those of you that are here and online, they're found in the Bible app under the events tab for today's service. First one is our celebration service. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know on the months that have a fifth Sunday, we do a celebration service. It's time where we do uh, significant events like baptisms, baby dedications, shared testimonies, etc. So if you've not been baptized, we encourage you to get baptized. If you'd like more information about being baptized, you can actually take this nifty connect card, write baptism on the back of it. Uh, make sure you fill out your name and 
you know, get some questions answered or talk about it. If you've had a child recently and you'd like your child dedicated, you can write baby dedication on that Connect card as well. Next up is our leadership huddle. We do these periodically. Our next one will be Monday, February 7th from 7 to 9 p.m. We will be joined by Pastor Dave Brunel, a longtime uh, close friend of our church. He is pastor up at The Rock Church up in Cleveland. Um, Dave has a lot of experience both personally and in his pastoral ministry with grief. So that's the subject of our next leadership huddle. He's going to talk about it, uh, you know, really kind of encourage us to wade into those moments, to flex those empathy muscles and, and, and see how we can weep with those who weep. So you might be surprised, you might learn some things, but we definitely encourage you to come. It's Monday, February 7th from 7 to 9. And real quick, uh, we just want to make you aware that our men's breakfast has been rescheduled for March 5th. It will be 8.30 to 11 a.m. and we'll have more information about that in the next coming weeks. And finally, uh, again, if you've been with us for a while, you know on the fourth Sunday we like to highlight our ministry partners. And today we have a video from Mike Cater, who is with Run Global. Hello, my name is Mike Cater. I'm the president of Run Global. And I just want to thank all of you for your prayers and for your generous donations and gifts to help us reach the lost. We are totally focused on the nation of Nepal and the nation of India. We are reaching as many people as possible with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are doing charity projects also because there are so many impoverished people, people at risk, people enduring or uh, surviving uh, the massive floods that occurred this fall. And because of your generous donations, we have been able to give out over 10,000 mosquito nets, protect them from the malaria disease and dengue fever. We also have distributed seven rounds of emergency aid in, in the form of many tons of rice and lentils, soap and blankets to people that have been suffering due to lack of a job because of the lockdowns, because of COVID. Your help has caused this to happen. And we have found that about 61% of the people that received aid have joined Discovery Bible Study Groups. And many of them are in those groups uh, week by week listening to and discussing Bible stories, stories about Jesus and Moses and the gospel. Uh, through your generous donations, this year we have been able to purchase uh, 200,000 gospel booklets, 2,500 evangel cubes, 2,000 picture Bibles, and through your gifts toward uh, motorbikes for our evangelists and church planners, we have been able to help them buy 14 motorbikes already, and we will be helping many more buy motorbikes because of your generous gifts. We have had over 18,000 Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists in our Discovery Bible Study groups. Currently, we're running about 15,000 a week, attending, listening to the Bible stories, discussing, and many of them are coming to Christ and new churches are starting. This year, there have been 4,400 professions of faith in Jesus Christ and 970 baptisms. 
So, so much of this is because of your prayers, your generosity, your sacrifices, paired with and partnered with our Indian brothers and sisters, our Nepali brothers and sisters who are on the ground, risking their lives and their health to get the gospel to their nations. Thank you for what you have done. We are so grateful for you. And we're going to charge into the new year with more of the same. And we're going to reach more people. Please keep praying. Please keep giving. And we're going to partner with you to help reach this world. God bless you. Good morning. Wasn't that awesome? That's really awesome. That's uh, Mike uh, and Sue Cater. Mike is actually one of the original founders of this church. And uh, he and Sue are somewhere in their early to mid 70s. And they are still crushing it. And uh, what a remarkable story. We're really thrilled to be partnered, partnered with them. Hey, well, good morning. And uh, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about um, something called emotionally healthy spirituality. And by the way, I'm Chris. Uh, if you're new or visiting this morning, if you're watching online for the first time or you're here for the first time, I'm the lead pastor here. And um, so happy this morning, honored to be able to give the, give the uh, sermon part of our Sunday experience. You know, those that are passionate for the church here in America have become painfully aware that over the last two years, COVID has revealed significant gaps in our discipleship. Some have said that a superficial or shallow spirituality has been exposed. It has come out in the fact that many Christians have simply stopped attending church, whether in person or virtually. It comes out in our inability to resolve conflicts, or it comes out in the tone of our political discourse or the way that we characterize those with whom we disagree. It comes out in the level of concern that we show for the economy or our own retirement accounts over and against our concern for souls. This shallow spirituality is endemic. Now we've heard that word a lot lately, endemic. We want to turn this pandemic into an endemic, but that doesn't mean it's gone. Endemic means a disease or condition regularly found among a particular people. Now there's a boatload of data reinforcing that in America, our spirituality is very shallow. And this condition creates a gap between our true self and the self that we project to others, between our public selves and our private selves. Now, being an active or sensitive Christian can accelerate this separation. We know what a good Christian is supposed to look like. We know the right language to signal to our friends that we are spiritually okay. And we have a strong desire to be loved by our Christian friends. Combining all that, we can easily step into the trap of projecting the right look and saying the right things. 
Yet all the time we practically yield very little leadership to Jesus. Well, Jesus can speak to me between 7.10 and 7.15 in the morning. Or he can speak to me on Sunday morning if I attend or watch, if the sermon's any good. Other than that, I'm completely on my own. Now, some of us feel this gap, and it deeply bothers us. And we sense that our spiritual life is shallow, and we want to go deeper. We long to become more like Jesus, but we find that we are up against forces and impulses that work against us. Some are obvious and are known. Others are vague and nameless, some internal, some external. But these forces perpetually undermine me. It's that gap. It's a gap between who I want to be and who I really am. Can I actually bridge that gap? Does the gap feel too wide? You think, yeah, it feels like the ocean. Is the chasm too deep? Yeah, it feels, it looks like the Grand Canyon. You're seeking the overflowing life that Jesus described, but you can't find the way. And perhaps you've already given up. Silently, you've given up. You know, if that describes you this morning, first I want to say this. It's really critical that you realize that you're not alone in your feelings. I certainly have felt this way in my journey, more intensely at certain times, and I'll comment on that later. And secondly, you're not, your, you're not on your own in this. It is the church's job to provide the tools that you need to bridge that gap. The church is called to go and make disciples. Disciples are simply learners, those who are following Jesus. And the church has a ministry of discipleship, helping you grow. And for the church, the process of making disciples does not end simply because you become a Christian and join the church. Now, the Apostle Paul could not have made this any more clear. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul wrote this. Christ gave, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, the church plays a pivotal role in helping you experience all that there is in Christ. What does that mean, the fullness of Christ? Loved by him united in him, becoming like him, loving others as he loved, and the church as a whole doing a repeat performance of his life. You know, our vision, Linworth's vision for the season that we are in, a season where the ground is constantly shifting beneath us, our vision is captured in a single word, the word ready. Ready to not only survive but to thrive under the challenges of following Jesus. So we, your pastors, have the responsibility of equipping and teaching 
and preparing you to walk as Jesus did. You have the responsibility of availing yourself, of being willing to learn and being passionate for growth. All of us must get out of the boat, so to speak, to equip and to learn and to do new things, to grow, to deepen our shallow spirituality. We can't stay put. When Israel stayed too long at the Yogi Berra campground, God said to them, Deuteronomy 1 verse 6, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country. And thus began their quest to take the promised land. Here's what I'd like to do this morning. Three things. One, I'd like to clarify the goal of discipleship. One. Two, I'd like to explain how we as a church can help bridge the gap, help you bridge the gap. And then three, I want to provide a personal illustration. Okay? Let's, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name this morning, we, gather, we are gathered here together as an expression of your body. Some are here in this room, some are watching online. Father, we have partners that we are connected to around the world in different parts of the state and this country. And Father, we long for you to do your work in and through our lives. We know that you are working, Jesus. You said that I and the Father are working. And Father, we want to know what it means to come and to work alongside of you. For some of us, we want to come into that personal, intimate connectedness to you. And so we pray that wherever we are on the spiritual spectrum this morning, whether we've been at it for a long time or whether we are just beginning, Father, may we receive grace this morning, power to grow and to learn. May our hearts be open to learn this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Okay, how we doing? We doing all right out there? Warming up? Got my coffee here. I'm warming up. Okay, first thing we want to do is clarify the goal of discipleship. And to do that, we have to ask the question, what is the mark of maturity? Now, it is so easy to lose our way on this, to have the wrong goal. And you know, having the wrong goal impacts everything. Most of us can recount stories of businesses or political parties or universities or sports teams or artists or runners in a race that stray from their goal. Two Kenyan marathoners recently lost a race because a race volunteer mistakenly led them off the designated route. They began to feel suspicious when they saw nobody behind them for long stretches. Every organization discovers it is a challenge to keep the main thing the main thing. And it is no different with the church. In the church world for larger churches, the attractional church, success is defined in dollars and the size of the ministries and 
the numbers of services and the expanse of the sanctuary. Discipleship is defined in aggregates, quantities, numbers. Now, conversely, the smaller church, the discipleship church, chafes at the superficiality of the megachurch and takes pride in its quality, the individual over the mass. The metrics for the small church revolve around getting Christians active in spiritual disciplines and evangelism. Maturity equates to high activity and participation. Maturity is getting people to make the right choices, believe the right truths, give sacrificially, and deepen their Bible knowledge. Now friends, these are all good things, indeed necessary things. But if they don't emanate from love, if church members are not growing in love, if we love only who love us in return, if our critical spirit cuts off those that are struggling, if our hearts are not emotionally present for others, then big church or small church, we are missing the goal. The discipleship goal of the church, according to Ephesians 4, is to make mature followers of Jesus. And the outstanding mark of maturity is not the practice of prayer, our deep Bible knowledge, our being an activist for the poor, or radically giving. The mark of maturity is love. Is love. That is the mark of maturity. And so with that goal, the discipleship of the church must do more than focus on right behaviors. It must get below the surface to the spiritual and emotional barriers that prevent us from loving well. We must preach about, talk about, reflect on, and understand the dynamics that shape our hearts, our motives, and our loves. Jesus said, those who love me will obey my commands. Now, Jesus is the Lord, and he does intend for us to obey him. We have a responsibility for that. But the obedience he calls for is not divorced from love. The obedience he calls for is planted in the soil of love. Its growth was designed to come from a place of closeness to and intimacy with him. Way too often, we do the separating. We obey, we externally conform, but from a passionless and joyless place. This is what happens when our love for Jesus runs cold. When our love runs cold, then things like being on mission or engaging in the spiritual practices turn into have-tos and they begin to grind the life out of us as we slowly and imperceptibly drift towards becoming like the Pharisees. Manufacturing an image that denies the truth inside. The mark of maturity is love. Love is the goal of discipleship. 
Now, because keeping this goal clear is so critical, let's spend a few moments reflecting on scriptures that speak to the primacy of love. Let's start with 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And you'll see them here. You can look at the text in front of you or look at the screen behind me. Several scriptures. 1 Timothy 1, 5, Paul wrote, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is a letter from an older pastor, Paul, to a younger pastor, Timothy, And he begins by urging Timothy, if you read the previous verses, to bring focus and order and clarity to the teaching ministry of the church. And what is the end goal of that teaching ministry? Paul says it very simply. The goal is love. How about another voice? 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 8. Peter wrote this, the end of all things is near. That's urgent, right? Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray above all. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Readiness, alertness, very important. I mean, this could be our theme verse that I mentioned earlier. Yet above everything else, love each other deeply. Let's go back to the Apostle Paul. Look at Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. You know, the heart of a sensitive Christian is to do everything God desires. What can we do to fulfill his law? Now, Paul evidently thought or wrestled with this same question as well. And with the Holy Spirit breathing on him in the writing of Scripture, here's how Paul answered that question. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Love others today, and you will have fulfilled the commands of God. That's powerful. Now, you might be saying, didn't Jesus say something similar? Let's go back to that text. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Here, Jesus is asked a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Like a door swings on a hinge, so all the commands hang on these two. In other words, any betrayal of God can be traced back to violating one of these two. Conversely, 
love for God and love for others is the wellspring, the source, the fountainhead for responding to every other command. Staying with Jesus, turn to John chapter 13. Here, Jesus is sharing the last supper with the disciples. He is preparing them for his departure and he grounds the success of his mission, guess in what? The success of this mission is dependent upon love. Love in the new community he's forming will be the single greatest proof of his reality. John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, if you love one another. Now you might ask, why is this a new command? We just saw how Jesus quoted the Old Testament passage about loving your neighbor. Isn't he simply repeating what's in the Old Testament? Well, this is a case where Jesus is bringing to the table something new that has a connection with something ancient. Something he said that every teacher in the kingdom of God would do. Matthew 13, 52. What is new? Jesus is now the standard by which we define love. 1 John 3.16 says, And we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, therefore we ought to lay down our lives for one another. There's something else new here. Jesus is looking forward to the new covenant, a new era in spiritual history. And in that new age, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will now abide in or take up residence within every believer through the Holy Spirit. His Spirit mysteriously united to ours. Therefore, there is now a new power available to us to love as he did. And now one final section that perhaps this is the greatest evidence that love is the mark of maturity. It's a familiar passage. It's even used uh, by folks that are not Christians in their wedding ceremonies. It's so beautiful, so poignant. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul said this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clang nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now this was written to a church. This passage was written to a church that valued a pretentious display of spiritual gifts where members competed for center stage where uh, anybody who had an impressive speaking ability or had expansive knowledge their status uh, was taken up several notches into the chaos of that church with beautiful simplicity Paul argues that love is the greatest of all without it he is nothing 
And then he defined love in attitude and action. Love is the mark of maturity. So we can ask ourselves, am I spiritually mature? Am I? Let me think about it. Am I spiritually mature? Well, this is the test. Do the people who around you, the people that live with you, do they regard you as patient? Do they think of you as kind? Would your friends describe you that way? Would your spouse describe you as not easily angered? Not defensive? Would your children describe you as one who keeps no record of wrongs? Would co-workers describe you as one who does not boast, who is selfless and welcoming? And you say, no, they wouldn't, but I know a lot of scripture. Okay, that's good. That's good, but Paul says, excel in love. Oh, no, my, my wife would not say that about me, but I, I give more than 10%. Okay, that's good. Keep it up. But Paul says, excel in love. No, 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 my, my co-workers do find me rude and self-absorbed. But I share my faith all the time. Okay. That's great. Don't stop. But excel in love. Deepen your character. Dig up the things that are preventing you from loving well. You may have seen this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. over his birthday. So relevant to this topic. He said, life's most important, life's most persistent question is, what are you doing for others? Love is the mark of maturity. And if our discipleship, right, is not stirring us to grow in love, then we as a church need to review our process of discipleship. Our processes of discipleship must get after the things that are preventing us from abandoning ourselves. If we are going to love as Jesus did in the power of the Spirit, our teaching must get after those barriers. Things like an unhealthy need for recognition, or things like our defensiveness, or things like our fixation on our own needs. One aspect of discipleship that we believe is missing, our pastors, we believe is missing in our own matrix is that of emotional health. Been talking a lot about this. You know, emotions are vital and they are expressed resplendently throughout the scriptures. Our emotions are designed to help fuel our passion and our joy and our loves. God is described with many emotions. He rejoices exceedingly. By the way, read the minor prophets for this. He rejoices exceedingly. He dances. He celebrates. He loves enthusiastically and expressively. He conveys deep affection. He expresses anger and sadness and grief. This is a vital part of life. But as a rule, most people in the West are underdeveloped emotionally. 
I'm not saying we're not emotional. We are emotional. But those emotions, as my favorite country singer, Travis Meadows, says, they come out sideways. We're emotional, but they come out sideways. We don't trust emotions. We are suspicious of them. We repress them. There is a reason for this. You can trace it back to the Greek and Roman influence in our culture and in the West in general, a view of life and emotions that did seep into the church. And if you know your Hebrew Bible and your Old Testament, you know those values don't match with the emotions expressed by the people of God. We see the expression of vibrant emotion all over the Hebrew Bible. Something in the West that got plowed over with a heavy dose of intellectualism and rationalism. Now, by the way, I'm very aware, for those of you that are saying this to your minds right now, I am very aware there is a balance here. There is a difference between learning to develop and fully express emotions versus being randomly and haphazardly led by them. I get that. But this morning, I'm trying to push you on the other side of it. So let me go to the second point here. We've, we've defined, and I hope clarified biblically, that love is the mark of maturity, that emotional health is missing in our uh, matrix of discipleship, and so now how, the second point, how can we help bridge that gap? Uh, author and speaker Pete Scazzaro spoke at our pastor's conference a few years ago. He has been raising this issue of emotional health, claiming that the global church is facing a discipleship crisis. And we hinted at that earlier. I think COVID has helped expose that discipleship crisis. Siskero points to his own walk with Jesus and his own experience within Christian community as the genesis of his journey towards healing emotions, realizing that the way he grew up spiritually was not enough. He wrote this. Although people, he means in his Christian community, seemed to be growing in love and desire for God, this wasn't translating into greater love for people. Many had zeal for the scripture, but remained defensive, judgmental, critical, unapproachable, and unsafe as people. Scazzaro also wrote this, that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And so, Church, Linworth, to help us learn to love well, we are introducing to our church and into our discipleship matrix a course by Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Now, it's not a panacea. It will be one tool of others that will help us bridge the gap between who we are and the life that Jesus invites us into, to shorten the distance between my public self and my private self. You know, some things that we believe about discipleship, about developing believers, 
is we believe that the Word of God brought to us by the Spirit of God, spoken in and lived out within the Christian community, is what we need for growth. It is the genesis for growth. Yet at the same time, there are often emotional and spiritual barriers that prevent the word from soaking deep. Like a seed planted on uh, unbroken ground, it simply stays on the surface. There are often additionally spiritual barriers and emotional barriers that prevent the grace of God coming to us. You know, the grace of God was also designed to come through not only the scriptures, but also through your brothers and sisters in community. And some of us carry barriers that prevent that grace from them helping to share our burdens, from them bringing a healing presence to our lives. For some of us, there are new places the Word of God needs to go to hidden places, maybe dark and shut up places, or maybe they're just rusted out from lack of use. Our pastors and our wives and a number of leaders have gone through the EHS course or read the book and firm, affirm that it is covering new ground. It is helping us dig below the surface. I have been through the book or class three times now. And what it has helped me the most is learning to practice the presence of Jesus throughout my day. He doesn't just speak from 7 o'clock to 7.30. To practice his presence throughout the day. Paying attention at work, for example, to those times when adrenaline takes over. Yeah, it happens to pastors too. Adrenaline takes over, and, I, and I'm working on my own fuel rather than his, and that's why I become overwhelmed and become anxious. These are the times where I'm working for Jesus instead of working alongside of him. And I'll also say that EHS is learning, helping me to rest and to relax in Jesus and to be more committed to and delighting in Sabbath. We'll say more about that if that's a new topic for you at different times. The EHS and its disciplines has not uprooted my existing disciplines, but has added new life and new twists to them. This course explores and gains from the spiritual practices of other believers in different traditions than mine, than ours, and also other periods of church history. Now, knowing that the course is theologically grounded. I'm not threatened by that, but I'm able to learn and to appreciate the experiences of others in how they have applied being with Jesus. And in the end, I find that the Holy Spirit is taking me to greater capacity to love others. Let me give a personal example of this. Recently, I have noticed, it's been there a long time, but I've been more perceptive of it, is that I was struggling to forgive some individuals, several individuals. And these were not scenarios where things were not addressed, where conflicts were still hanging. And, and again, these feelings, I realize they've been there a long time, but I'm growing more sensitive to it. 
And the hurts, now, some are real. Some, actually, more of them are perceived. But I found that I struggled to find the power to differentiate myself from these individuals and thought that the issue was one of forgiveness. But I know the fruit of it, I know the result of that lack of forgiveness is a lack of love and therefore a fear, because perfect love casts out fear. There's a fear there. There is an enslavement of some sort because somewhere in it, I'm looking for an affirmation that these individuals cannot give to me. Now, you've heard me say before on stage, as I'm telling you, I'm, I'm in the process of experiencing enslavement and fear, and I'm not, like, done with it. But you're scratching your head saying, yeah, but Chris, I've, I've heard you on stage say before that you've experienced a new freedom and a new joy. Was I lying? No. <laughs> because if we continue to follow Jesus, there will be seasons where the Spirit is working afresh, breaking down new walls and barriers, and bringing deeper levels of openness and freedom. Think of it this way. If you liken your inner self to a house, any kind of house you like, Cape Cod, colonial, two-story, ranch, whatever you want. When we walk with God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, like he does in Revelation, carries a, a, a lantern and he walks through the rooms of our houses. This metaphor comes from a small book, a profound book called My Heart, Christ's Home. But Jesus, in his love and wisdom for a time, shines the light in a room that is dark and dusty and stinky, honestly. And if we allow him to work alongside of us, he empowers us to clean that room and brings new life to it. And Jesus continues to work his way slowly through our house. You see, spiritual growth is like this. Over time, as he moves from room to room, we become more sensitive to sinful attitudes, wrong judgments, unholy things that we see and do, things that we were not sensitive to previously. Over time, he shows us how to grow. If he showed us everything at once, we would be what? We'd be overwhelmed by that and we'd give up. So an attitude and an action that I didn't think about five years ago, it didn't cause me shame or bother me, today might create disgust and repulsion. I hate that. Friends, that's the nature of spiritual growth. So this is our journey. He shines his light on an area where we are enslaved and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he helps clean it up. And we then experience a deeper level of freedom and joy and change. These rhythms of, be, of moving from room to room and being shown a new area of enslavement and then freed from it, this rhythm will never stop until we see him. Why? 
because he is increasingly making us more like Jesus. And we bear the mark of maturity, which is, say it for me, love. Now, you're wondering, where did that conversation go about forgiveness? Let me go back to that conversation. It's a long parenthesis. In conversation with God, I said, God, why can't I forgive? Why can't I let this go? He answered me back, Chris, it's not about forgiveness. It's not about forgiveness. It's that you assume and believe wrong things about these individuals, unjust things about these individuals. You're not believing the best about them. What am I believing, Father? You're believing that they are firmly set and conclusive in a judgment against you, that they are critical of you, that you cannot win their approval, that they stand over you as a constant judge. That's what you believe without any evidence. Yes, Lord, you're right. I, I believe the wrong things. It is a, it's not about forgiveness. It's about false beliefs. And it separates me from others. And it makes me suspicious, frankly. False beliefs, false assumptions divide. Well, Lord, thank you for speaking to me. Thank you. What, what do I do? Well, the very first thing we do is we agree with God and we say yes to him and we admit our wrong beliefs, asking for forgiveness. But, but Lord, what if I'm stuck in it? What if I do that and I still can't change? What if repenting and asking forgiveness does not solve the problem? What if I keep jamming the accelerator? I keep rocking the car, but my tire just sinks deeper in the snow. In my ministry experience, friends, this describes a lot of us. It describes a lot of us. It's why I believe and we believe we need to dig below the surface to that part of the iceberg that is, you know, the 90% of it is below the surface. It's not seen. For myself, I need to address and continue to address why Gaining the approval of critics or perceived critics is so important to me. It might relate to issues I've not addressed from my past. I might need a better self-understanding. It may be that I've allowed work to become work to become too important to me because I've neglected the Sabbath. You see, walking with the Spirit helps us discern these things. And he reveals insights to us as we walk with him. Aha moments where we understand what is happening and why. And he gives us the power to get unstuck. Many of us are stuck and we don't know why. We get the external behavior. We get what to do. We confess our sin and we fall right back into it. Friends, this course is a part of a discipleship strategy to help with that. That's why we're doing it. Now, it may or may not be too late to sign up. I was supposed to give this message about 
three weeks ago, and obviously it wasn't really needed for you to sign up. But at least now you know why we're doing it. We've had amazing sign-ups, uh, and there are some processes involved, whether we, we need uh, a certain number of leaders to ensure the quality of the class and the course. But you can check with Pastor Rich, it's, it's still dynamic, it's still fluid. You may be able to sign up for the course. Let me just move to close here, and I want to ask you one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm going to give you seven questions. I've got to go pretty quickly here. I want to give you seven things to help you measure your emotional health. You, you can just answer in your head or you can write it down. One, not very much. Five, a lot. Okay, and if you're on the five side, then again, it's describing uh, some degree of, of disrepair, of disorder relative to your emotional health. Number one, okay, just is for your own evaluation and assessment. You don't need to share it with anybody else. One, I continually compare myself to other people. I continually compare myself to other people. I scroll through Facebook and feel terrible, right? Right? I continually compare myself to other people, what they have, what they own, what they experience. I continually compare myself with other people. Number two, I often say yes when I prefer to say no. I often say yes when I prefer to say no. Again, one, not an issue. Five, yeah, that's, that's an issue. Three, I often speak up to avoid the disapproval of others. I speak up to avoid disapproval. Number four, people close to me would describe me as defensive or easily offended. People would close to me would describe me as defensive or easily offended. Number five, this is the uh, really hard one for me. It shows some degree of disorder and disrepair in my own emotional health. I have a hard time laughing at my shortcomings. I avoid looking weak in social situations. This is really tough, by the way, on leaders. A lot of leaders fall into this. A lot of leaders. And I, it's, it's, uh, I used to be able to do it really easily. <laughs> But the last five or 10 years, I've, I've gotten worse in this, and it reveals some emotional disrepair in my self-concept. Six, I act like a different person in different settings. You see, emotional health is really, it's, in some ways, it's all about integrity. It's all about integrity. I act different ways in different situations. Number seven, I don't know what to do with anger, sadness or grief. And I can look at certain places of my life and I realize that those emotions come out sideways. They come out sideways in anger. They come out sideways in depression. They come out sideways in drug and alcohol abuse. They come out sideways in not being able to connect with other people in a way that's satisfying and fulfilling? I don't know what to do with anger, sadness, or grief. These are, these are the things that emotional health, when we move towards emotional health, we find, we find that the opposite of these things. We find that we're able to operate with integrity, okay? 
John Perkins, I want to say this about just this kind of discipleship and this kind of training, not just for us, friends, not just for you, right? Not just for you and our own growth, but for out there, for the community, for your neighbors, my neighbors, the people we're trying to reach. I want to say this last thing. You know, Rick Warren, Rick Warren said, uh, uh, pastor of Saddleback Community Church, Rick Warren said that in the late 20th century, the story of the church was about church growth. But in the 21st century, the most important thing about the church will be its health. Is it a healthy church? John Perkins is one of the most respected, widely respected African-American pastors. He was beaten to death in the 60s in Mississippi. He's been an advocate and a voice for, uh, for racial reconciliation. Uh, he's so widely respected. This is what John Perkins said. This is a book that must be read, this, this concept, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. This is a book that must be read by the church, a word that has to get out. The world is becoming urban and multi-ethnic, and this book shows the way to build healthy and effective churches in these communities. Amen. Pray. Let's pray together. Father, we have gone a lot of places this morning. We've gone a lot of places. This is a message from you for our church that we trust. And I pray, Father, that each of us would take the steps that we need to take. If it's to sign up for this course, if it's to read the book, if it's to pursue a talk with a pastor or a small group leader, if it's to pursue a counselor, Father, help us to get out of the boat this morning and take the step. Help us to get off that mountain and begin to take the promised land, the land promised to us, the victories promised to us. Holy Spirit, you're calling some of us this morning Maybe many of us, you're calling to take a step, to get out of the boat, to take a risk, to open up, to become transparent with what's really happening in my life, to peel off the image that everything's okay, and to tell a friend, to tell a pastor, to tell a counselor, I'm struggling. My friend died 10 years ago, and I'm still not over it. My marriage ended years ago, and I'm still not over it. I'm still hurting. I lost a friend a few years ago, and I can't get over it. It still enslaves me. It still bothers me. I can't love because of it. My channel of love is stopped up. My channel of love is filled with all kinds of debris. And I want to be free. Father, those that you're calling this morning to get out of that boat, help them to take that step, to take that next step, whatever it is. 
Help us now, Father, to abandon ourselves in worship, to give you our hearts in worship, knowing that you have the power to lead us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing. We're going to turn here and look up and lean into the character of God. Respond to his word with worship, adoration. And then when we're done here, as people are dismissing after our final benediction, some of us will remain up front. For those of you this morning, the Holy Spirit is saying, I need prayer. I may need to be open about something, or I just at least need to say, I need prayer. Come forward. We'll lay hands on you pray for you this morning, for freedom, deliverance, for emotional health, that friends, we may all love well.
Amen. Hey, come next week for our celebration service. And uh, by the way, on the EHS class, uh, the vision here is to present, there's actually two courses. Um, the vision is to present this continually over the next few years. So if you don't get in this time, we will be offering it again. A reminder that um, uh, there are a couple of uh, ways to give out in the lobby. There's some offering baskets as well. You can give online. Again, it supports the ministry of our church and people like Mike and Sue working, uh, working uh, overseas. Uh, there'll be a few of us here for prayer. Uh, if the Holy Spirit's calling you to receive prayer this morning. And finally, to raise your hands for a final benediction from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.